Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the mini break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, August 29th, day one of the 2022 U.S. Open, now officially in the books. I'll say this to start the show. Day one did not lack for drama. And of course, on today's podcast, I want to break all of that drama down for you listeners. It's just going to be me steering the ship. That said, I want to interject some organization onto today's show. So we're going to break down today's results into various segments. We're going to start the show with who won and lost the day. Who were the players that stood out for both positive and negative reasons? Certainly, that means getting into the upsets that fueled the drama we saw unfold. In particular, Simona Halep, who I will admit to you Cracked Rackets listeners, was my pick. If you hear our draw preview, I thought the number seven seed, who of course won the title in Toronto, has been one of the most consistent players since the start of this 2022 season. I thought she was the surest thing in a draw of uncertainty, but that uncertainty wins out as Halep is knocked out in three sets on the day, of course, was a tremendous uh, performance from her opponent, who all of us should, of course, be getting to know as you look. She gets knocked out by a former world number two junior in Daria Sneeger. That said, did not expect Simona Halep to fall on day number one. So, of course, we have to break down the mechanics of that performance. We have to talk about Brandon Holt, who has been spectacular all year long on court, but given his lack of track record, even at the challenger level, let alone at the ATP level, to see him knock out Taylor Fritz as comfortably as he did in a four-set victory over the number 10 seed. That was certainly a shock on the day. And was it Taylor Fritz's best tennis? Absolutely not. That said, we have to get into the mechanics of Holt's upset victory as well. Talk about why the former USC All-American certainly has more upside to tap into as he begins to enter the prime of his career. But again, I want to get into the players that won and lost the day. That will be one of our segments. We'll talk about the other results that matter in an aptly named segment saying... Here's why this matters, and that means filtering through not only the upsets, but the top seeds that looked good on day number one, the results that matter big picture to the draw. We'll talk about all of that. Get into everything else as well. There are 64 results on day number one. Am I going to break down every match? No. Am I going to try and get all of the relevant information to you listeners? Of course. I'll name my 10 favorite men's and women's matches from the uh, for day two, excuse me, as as well. We'll get into all of that on today's show. And of course, you know, the day's most anticipated match of the day turned out to be slightly disappointing, at least on the court. That's because Serena Williams dominated. Dominated might be hyperbolic, but she advanced comfortably in a straight set victory where she was in control from the start against Danka Kavinich. And while the match on court may have lacked drama, certainly the pageantry surrounding it worthy of the occasion. You had the night record and on a day one of the U.S. Open from a fan perspective, attending that Serena Williams match, countless stars in the crowd, the videos they played as well. I'll offer my reaction to that, my thoughts on her performance on court as well as certainly that's a storyline. You have to touch on uh, coming off of day one. But again, we're going to get into all of that. And hopefully all of you listeners will feel like you know what happened on Monday at the U.S. Open. Of course, the reason we're able to do that day in, day out, and we will have podcasts every day for you listeners throughout this U.S. Open weekend as well. I'm guaranteeing it to you listeners. Made sure our Crack Racket schedule was clear so that I would be able to ensure those podcasts for all of you. The reason we're able to do that is, of course, because so many of you can continue to tune in day in, day out, and that means the world to us. So 
On behalf of myself, Super Producer Daniel Westhoff, and Dalton Thieneman, thank you for doing so. We will make it worth your while over the course of the next two weeks. Of course, a shout-out to our friends at Tennis Point as well, who understand the necessity of a daily podcast to keep up with everything that happens in the tennis world. They also, of course, provide the best equipment at the lowest prices to tennis players everywhere. All you got to do, go to tennis-point.com. You'll find everything you're looking for. Use our promo code CR15 when you do inevitable make a purchase. Not only will let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, tennis-point symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's get into day number one of the 2022 U.S. Open. And again, we're going to start this podcast with a segment calling who won and lost the day. Of course, why and not calling, but a segment called who won and lost the day. Why are we doing that to try and make sense of the players that mattered most on day number one, 128 of them competing in singles matches on the day. Let's start with Daria Sneaker and Simona Halep, who are unequivocally your two biggest winners and losers on the day. Now, we're a glass half full sort of podcast here, so we'll start with Daria Sneaker who, of course, is a former world junior number two, was the junior Wimbledon champion back in 2019. That said, this is her Grand Slam main draw debut, and she gets in by qualifying to the event. She drops two sets on her way, excuse me, just one set in qualifying a loss to Yanino Wickmeyer in round number two, but, you know, wins over Habino in the final round of qualifying, and now the biggest victory of her career, a 6-2, love 6, 6-4 victory over seventh-seeded Simone. Mona Halep, you look for Daria Sneeger, what makes her exceptional? as a player at this point in her career. Of course, at 20 years old, she's already sitting at number 124 entering this 2022 U.S. Open now with her first victory at a slam. She's all the way up to a new career high of number 104 overall, which, by the way, is exactly where you want to be at 20 years old. And you look for her now in terms of all the players under the age of 21. Daria Sneeger, now the 12th highest ranked player under 21 in the world, starts with the aggressive tennis she's able to play behind her first serve and in particular how she uses that forehand it you know I, I tweeted this out during the day the flatness of her forehand the way she sort of pancakes through the ball her forehand told Ali Risk's forehand to hold its beer because it's even flatter it's even pancakier and the fact that it held up so well on this surface the fact that she was as consistent as she was from the start of this match a testament to the poise of the 20 year old who look the statistics aren't overwhelming for she won fewer total points than Halep she hit 27 unforced errors to just 11 winners minus 16 to Halep's minus 17 not demonstrably better there she was 5 of 15 on breakpoint chances to Halep's five of eight. You know, Halep wins 60% of her first serve points to Sneaker's 59. Halep 46% on the second serve to Halep's, uh, to Sneaker's 38. The glass half full for Daria Sneaker is this is a, a, a career launching victory. And you look for Sneaker now, who in this 2022 season, 27 and 16 overall, of course. She's only made one final. And that was at the 60K to start the year where she got knocked out by Hreet Minen. But you look for her overall on the season. She's made seven different quarterfinals, the highest level of them coming at the 100K in Ilkley. You look for her at the tour level now. I mean, she's eight and seven overall on the year now. A lot of those matches have been in qualifying. This is actually her first main draw victory on tour of the season. Look, she was the steadier of the group, uh, of the two. And yes, that 5-1 lead in the third set evaporated and got to 5-4, but, uh, or excuse me, got to, yeah, 5-4, but ultimately Sneaker was able to close the match out. And look, Credit to Sneaker. Draw obviously opens up for her. Now you knock out the number seven seed, the seed in your section. You've got an opportunity, and she has one against a Rebecca Marino who hits the ball flat, is going to play big if Sneaker can stay consistent can continue to change direction, hit that forehand down the line as well as she was. She'll have a shot in that match. But look, Simona Halep was very bad 
on court today. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. Simona Halep hit 13 winners against 30 unforced errors. 17 of those 30 unforced errors came in set number three. 11 of those 30 unforced errors came in set number one. She had two unforced errors in set number two. It was two completely different Simona Halps. And even when Halp was making the first serve, and she made 68% of them in the course of this match, she was just spraying the plus one ball like crazy. It didn't matter forehand wing, backhand wing. And yes, these courts are clearly playing a little bit quicker. That ball's flying a little bit faster through those courts. But Halp shouldn't have sprayed to the extent that she did. And when she just reined things in in set number two and, you know, only hit two winners, but only hit two unforced ears, just forced Sneaker to put the ball away or, you know, down 5-1 in the third, Halep goes into backboard mode and makes, you know, after making 11 total unfor- or 17 unforced ears in the set, probably made four unforced ears from 5-1 to 5-4. Why didn't she just fall back on the physicality? That has been the staple for Simona Halep throughout the course of her career. And look at something about this U.S. Open event. It just Halep continues to struggle at this particular Grand Slam. You look for Simona Halep now at the U.S. Open in her career. You know Halep loses third, uh, excuse me, fourth round last year to Svitolina, but you know she loses first round in 2017. She loses first round in 2018 to Sharapova. Kanapi and then second round 2019 to Taylor Townsend. She, you know, she's never made a final at the U.S. Open, and certainly you look for her now. Hasn't even reached a quarterfinal since 2016, and you know you just wondered how much of her juice did she use in Toronto because certainly she looked dead legged at Cincinnati. That said, she's had a couple of weeks to recover and just to see her come out as slow out of the gates as she did to see her so helpless when the plus one wasn't landing and so frustrated even when the consistency option was so clearly available to her. I'm sorry. Well, Daria Sneaker certainly won the day. I don't think she's our biggest winner of the day, actually. I think you can't deny Simona Halep is the biggest loser of the day because, again, she's one of two players, along with Iga Sviantek, to rank top 10 in both hold and break percentage. She has the highest win percentage or top three win percentage of her career. Her hold percentage, break percentage, both above her career averages. Statistically, result-wise, all the quarterfinals, semifinals this year— she is still in the prime of her career. She's still playing outstanding tennis. And to lose, you know, a three-set match in the fashion that she did, going down 5-1 in the third to a 20-year-old who had never won or hadn't won a main draw match at the tour level this season, it's just not an acceptable loss if you're Simona Halep. And by the way, you don't think you think I have to tell her that? No doubt about that. No one is kicking themselves more than Simona Halep. But look, that's a draw-shaking result because we talked about that Simona Halep-Maria Sakkari quarter being the quarter of death. Simona Halep's been knocked out of that quarter already. Jill Teichman, the number 30 seed, who's also in that quarter of the draw, draw, she's knocked out fairly comfortably in straight sets by Jung Shui, who knocks out the 30 seed 6-4, 6-2. And Jung Shui played a great match in Cleveland, despite getting knocked out by Alizé Cornet in straights, that match was far closer than the scoreboard indicated. Her aggressive on top of the baseline tennis just was the you know was better than what Teichman was able to produce. And on these courts, being the aggressor, taking time away, being on top of the baseline, that was the skill of the day. That's certainly something you take away uh, from the day's action. One of the narratives we'll discuss a little bit later on. But look, that section of the draw is wide open. That 16th now where both seeds are knocked out on day number one. And, you know, certainly the rest of the seeds, Haddad Maya, who wins 0-0 on the day, was dominant over on a do you know how rare an O&O victory is on the Pro Tour? I would venture to say there have been fewer than 10 of them so far this season. She looked excellent. Caroline Garcia, very comfortable victory over Rakamova in straight sets. She looked excellent, I thought, and served particularly well. This surface works well for her. This surface works really well for Ali Risk. Good straight set win over San Diego. USTA Girls 18th champion Elena Yu. And, you know, Coco Goff looked comfortable in a win over Jean Jean. So credit to the seeds. By the way, Maria Sakri survived in three, but I want to talk about that one a little bit more later. The group of death, though, loses 
it's top seed, and I know she was the second highest seed, but Simona Halep was, by anyone's metric, a top five contender. She was second according to odds makers, second according to Tennis Abstract, and now she's eliminated from the event. Credit to Sneaker, who again was able to grind down the home stretch, was able to take backhand line her on the run forehand despite not looking the most appealing. It's Medvedevian, Ali Riskish, and that she, when she connects with it, properly it just the drive the depth she's able to generate it's tough to deal with on the run what a win from sneaker but it's a tough day certainly for Simona Halep that said though it's winner and loser of the day number one winner of the day number two has to be JJ Wolf who I mean dominant I think that's the fair word to use in his straight set victory over Roberto Bautista Agut. Of course, you look for JJ on the day was a comfortable, again, comfortable straight set victory, 6-4, 6-4, 6-4 over the number 16 seed. JJ wasn't broken throughout the course. Uh, excuse me. Yeah, wasn't broken throughout the course of the match. Fought off all four break points that he faced, two in the first set, two in the third set. 46 winners against 34 unforced errors. He had 14 aces on the day, but more impressively, his forehand was the biggest weapon on the court against a top 20 player in the world. And Roberto Bautista Agut is going to ask every question of you. He's going to track down that extra ball. His speed on the run and his ability on the corner, his on the run for corners, the his on the run forehand in particular, excuse me, let me try that sentence again but leave it in. RBA's speed in and out of the corners, his ability to absorb your pace and generate depth out of the corners and that on the run forehand in particular are all special qualities for Roberto Bautista Gut. It's why he's been able to build out the decade-long top 50 stent that he's had. That said, J.J. Wolf's forehand overwhelmed him throughout the course of today. And, you know, on all four break points that he faced, one of them, he had a good first serve tee, generated a forehand missed return. It was like 118 down the tee on the ad side. When you hit that serve, sometimes it's unreturnable. And again, J.J., 14 aces, 50 of 57, 188% of his first serve points today. How did he have that level of success? Well, it was the plus one forehand. Because RBA likes to slice that backhand out of his corner. RBA is going to give you a neutral ball when he's on the run, force you to try to come up with something special. Well, JJ was able to come up with something special. Time after time after time. Again, fights off three of his four break points with unreturned forehands. You know, when he gets the break of serve in set number two, it's a backhand down the line return winner followed by an unreturnable inside in forehand winner that JJ set up in the rally. He even was able to grind a bit backhand to backhand with RBA. And even if, you know, JJ 34 unforced errors on the day, I would venture to say 16 of them were him trying to go big on the backhand down the line. He was just the aggressor in this match against one of the most physical players on tour. And, you know, for J.J. Wolf, who had to have his appendix removed and has had so many different nagging injuries since being the number one player in college in 2019, ripping through the challengers in 2019-2020, and, you know, winning that Numea challenger in January of 2020, right before the pandemic hit, it seems like everything is breaking his way. But if you look for J.J. this summer— quarterfinals Washington you know now the victory here over RBA of course he's made a bunch of quarterfinals semifinals at the challenger level this season you look for him overall actually he's made uh here in over the past year 11 different quarterfinals 10 of them at the challenger level obviously now gets a big win here uh at the slam uh, at the U.S. Open excuse me into the second round once again of course he made the third round back in 2020 uh this was a massive win for J.J. Wolf, and you look for him now, he's 2-0 in his career in first rounds at slams. Obviously, both of those appearances coming at the U.S. Open, but beat Guido Pea back in 2020, now the even higher quality win over RBA. It was a tough loss for RBA, but again, J.J.'s was just better. Like, the RBA on the run forehand was neutralized because JJ hits that cross court plus one forehand so heavy with so much action on the ball, so much power, so much depth. It's going to overwhelm anyone's on the run forehand, except for maybe Novak Djokovic's. And again, the amount of shanked forehands RBA hit while on the run today, 
he hit only 32 unforced errors, and I think that might even be a little bit high because J.J. forced a lot of those errors out of RBA. Again, RBA didn't play poorly. J.J. went out and beat him. It's J.J.'s first top 20 victory of his career. You look for J.J. now up to number 74 in the live rankings. That's a new career high. He's back on track, and he's going to have indoor hardcore events, which is where he's won the majority of his challenger titles. Indoor hardcore events at the ATP 250 level to end this season. There's a world where J.J. Wolf ends the year top 50. Now, he's got a lot of challenger points to defend, but he should be able to play an ATP schedule over the next six months, and there's a lot of indoor hardcore tennis during that stretch. Certainly advantageous for him to make a big jump here to start or restart his career, I should say, post-injury. He is one of your biggest winners. Again, I don't have RBA as a loser on the day. Yes, he lost his match, but J.J. was just simply put better than him, of course. I do think one of the biggest winners, losers on the day, I don't know. I, I You know what? I'm going to hold the American men actually for a little bit later. But I do think as a, you know, more broadly, I should say, were they winners? Were they losers on the day? Five and five overall. Well, you know what? Let's get into that now because I think what epitomizes why asking were the American men winners or losers on the day, five and five overall, it depends on where you stand on the Fritz-Brandon Holt matchup because obviously Taylor Fritz, the number 10 seed who is probably American with the highest expectations coming into this U.S. Open men's singles competition. He was the Indian Wells champion this year, has you know made now a fourth round at a slam, you know had an advantageous draw against a guy in Brandon Holt who never had an ATP 2 level win, had an advance past a challenger quarterfinal in his career, was making his slam main draw debut, you know, was a fellow Southern California guy. And yet Brandon Holt thoroughly outplays Taylor Fritz and earns a four-set victory. Holt a 6-7, 7-6, 6-3, 4 win. Now Holt served for the opening set and really should have won this match in straight sets. And part of that is because with all due respect to Taylor Fritz, he played very poorly throughout the course of today's action. You look for Taylor Fritz overall. He hits 41 winners against 55 unforced errors, was 20 of 51 on second serve points, faced 14 break points throughout the course of the match. Of course, was 4 of 15 on his own break point chances. He just never found his rhythm from the baseline, and that's a credit to Brandon Holt. The former USC All-American, now 24 years old, was just exceptional at absorbing and redirecting the pace of Taylor Fritz. And if you've watched Brandon Holt play, obviously we had the chance to do a lot of that during his college career at USC. That's always been his story. The better the competition, the better the Brandon Holt. Is he the best at generating pace? No, it's a little bit trickier for him. He's never going to be a, you know, a, one of the elite power tennis players on the tour, but extraordinarily smooth as an athlete, compact backswings on the forehand, backhand wing, hits his serves well with solid explosion and follow those balls, you know, follows the ball up with efficient, you know, plus one, good depth, good pace, is a comfortable volleyer, is a smooth athlete moving in and out of corners. I thought his on-the-run forehand today was particularly special. His ability to absorb Fritz's pace whenever Fritz attacked that forehand wing and drive that ball back with depth cross-court in particular. He just was constantly keeping Fritz from settling on any spots on the court. It felt like Fritz never had his feet set in the rally. And certainly there were times when Fritz locked in and Fritz's best was better than Holt's best throughout the course of this match. But Fritz played his best on maybe 10 points total, and Brandon just continued to make him uncomfortable. And while Brandon hit 41 winners against 58 unforced errors, Brandon was the more efficient of the two players, and those unforced errors all came from trying to move Fritz different directions or trying to un- or from an understanding that, look, I can't hit the ball down the center because that's where Taylor thrives. And so it was the right sort of errors from Brandon Holt. Played a really smart game would you know again, attack with attack the Taylor Fritz forehand down the line or attack the Taylor Fritz forehand by taking his backhand down the line. Fritz would then hit that forehand cross court to the open 
court. And then again, Brandon's on the run forehand, whether it was cross court with depth down the line, you know, he just kept Fritz honest and kept Fritz on the move and never allowed Fritz to get comfortable. And you look for Brandon Holt now 47 and 14 overall in 2022. So much of that started at the 15K level where he wins three consecutive titles in Cancun to start the year. He wins another 25K in Nottingham, a finals of a 15K in LA. He's been playing more challengers of late and certainly for him, round of 16 in Chicago, round of 16 in Lexington, quarterfinals in Little Rock. You know, he's had better challenger experiences this year, but you look for Brandon in his career. He's 11 and 19 at the challenger level, only one quarterfinal. So for him to get this victory, it obviously launches him to a new career high. He's now at 215 in the live rankings. He's going to be playing challengers the rest of the way here in this 2022 season and certainly next year. Yeah, he has ITF points to defend, three titles in January, but you win two matches at the challenger level, three matches in one tournament, God forbid. You now have more points from one event than you did in all of those future level events. So for Brandon Holt, what did he prove? Why was he one of the biggest winners? Because he just proved he belonged at this level athletically that even with the pace of the Taylor Fritz ball, how compact his ground strokes is, uh, ground strokes are, how sound he is physically, how few attackable things there are in his game, few weaknesses, there's that word, uh, in his game, that is what allows him to compete. That is why you have to keep your eye on Brandon Holt. And, you know, again, one of the winners, college tennis, it wasn't just Brandon Holt. You had four college winners on the day. You know, JJ, obviously, former college number one, Brandon Holt, an All-American at USC. Arthur Rinderknecht comes back from a set down. He earns a four-set victory. And then Nuno Borges' five-set win. I mean, talk about an electric match. And I could break that match down for 35 minutes. I've probably spent enough time on this particular niche, but I will say this. Shelton Nuno was exactly the five-set thriller I expected. There were, what, four breaks of serve throughout the course of the match, three tiebreakers in the match. Nuno's backhand was able to hang with the lefty serve, the lefty forehand of Shelton. And when the match turned into a grind or turned physical, Nuno was a bit more solid from the baseline. Ben got a little bit tentative, would have opportunities to hit the big forehand and move in, but would refuse to do it in a couple of those breakers. And look... Ben did an excellent job, start of set number four in particular. It felt like he was down love 30 or facing break points in just about every one of his service games, and he found big serves. He found big forehands. I mean, the guy embraced the crowd, and what a crowd it was on court number 10, embracing Ben Shelton. Certainly, it was fun to hear the pocket of Nuno fans as well. Again, two of the college tennis greats. Nuno, in my opinion, the most underrated player in college tennis of the past 10 years. Nuno was a little bit more sound. His inside-out forehand, he was not afraid of attack, of attacking Ben's forehand when he was approaching. You know, again, the action he's able to generate on that inside-out forehand is immense. And then, you know, he had Ben fearing, you know, Ben frozen because Ben couldn't cheat over to that backhand wing because Nuno wasn't afraid to attack his forehand. And look, Nuno stood the test physically. It's his first win at a slam. You look for Nuno now in the live rankings. He is up to number 91 new career high. Welcome to the top 100, my friend. And again, that is something we have projected for here at Crack Rackets for quite a bit of time. So that match was sensational. And to put a final bow on this American men's topic, because we can just knock out a bunch of matches here quickly. The five winners on the day, you look for the American men. I already mentioned, obviously, JJ Wolf, Brandon Holt, who were two impressive winners on the day. Were Tommy Paul and Sebastian Corda press impressive in their five and four set victories, respectively? From a tennis standpoint, absolutely not. Tommy, at times, was atrocious in what was ultimately a five-set win for him. He earns 4-6-6-3-2-6-6-love-7-5 over Bernabe Zapata-Morales. That said, winning ugly is half the battle in tennis, and Tommy was able to do that today. And ultimately, Tommy had a million break chances through the middle and the start of set number two obviously cruises. It was up a break to start set number three before a complete hiccup, and it felt like he made four total balls in that four, uh, third set. But then, you know, again, 
had his chances and despite not converting early in set number five on multiple occasions, just stayed the course, continued to attack behind his first serve. Whenever he had Zapata Morales on the run, the speed of these courts, Zapata Morales' forehand, just too big a backswing. The errors piled up. That said, when Zapata Morales was dictating behind his forehand in the first set, he looked like a top 20 player in the world, which is the first time you can probably say that about him on a hard court. But again, Tommy played poorly, was... Minus 15 winners to unforced errors, still found a way to win his first round match. And with all the upset that's happened in his section, yeah, Kasparu, the number five seed, still alive. But in his immediate half of the draw, no more Taylor Fritz, no more Sarundalo, no more Cressy, no more Tsitsipas. You have to win ugly at some point of a slam. Tommy Paul was able to do that. Sebi Korda was able to do that in a force that went over Fasundo Bagnus. And again, Korda... More unforced errors than winners. No one would have accused him of playing well. And yet both guys find ways to win ugly. And when you're young, or in Tommy's case, in your prime, you just have to do that to advance at slams. Big victories for them. And then why I give the American men a B-plus overall in the day. How can you not feel good for Eduardo Nava? Who, it's like Nakashima, Sinner, one other guy and him are the only winners for people born his age. And for Eduardo Nava, first win at a slam comes in five sets over John Millman. He's made seven challenger quarterfinals over the past year. It's great to see that success translate now to the U.S. Open where he comes through qualifying and now into the second round where he is currently up to uh, number 174 in the world, a new career high for the 20-year-old. Again, just another progression for him and it guarantees he's going to get into Australian Open slam qualifying and you know puts him doesn't have to worry about getting into challengers anymore into the top 200 where he wants to be at 20 years old the flip side Cressy has to retire due to injury so you kind of wash that one away Kozlov Kudla losing to Hatchnov Medvedev respectively not surprising the Shelton loss is disappointing but he and Nuno played arguably the best match of the day on the men's side, so I don't ding the American men too much. The disappointing one is Fritz. Fritz played very, very poorly against Brandon Holt, and we it can't be an A on the day because of how poorly Taylor Fritz played. That said, how can you ding the Americans that badly when it, it talk about a miraculous performance and talk about a, just a defining moment for Brandon Holt to reinvigorate? his belief that not only can I continue to play as a pro, but maybe I can be one of the best pros in the world. I just beat the number 10 seed at the U.S. Open. So B-plus overall, we're going to define the American men as winners on the day. Now, the last winner I want to get to here before we get to one more loser, and then we'll change segments here. Let's talk about Serena Williams' Power Tennis Country Club, because you know it wouldn't be a mini break podcast if we didn't allude to it. And there were a lot of powerful tennis players on the women's side who found success throughout the course of today's action. I want to break them down now. We can start with Serena Williams, who respect respectfully, it was a pretty ho-hum performance for Serena. Ultimately, she's able to advance in straight sets. She gets a uh, 6-3, 6-3 victory, I believe, over Donka Kavinic. And, I mean, you look for Serena. Did she play particularly good tennis today? She was efficient. I mean, she made two-thirds of her first serve, won 77% of those first serve points, 23 winners against 25 unforced errors, 14 of 19 at the net. When she was on her front foot, and she was on her front foot for the majority of this match, she looks great when she's the aggressor. She looks in command. She still strikes the ball like she's Serena freaking Williams, and she was able to do that from the center of the court for the majority of this match. An efficient 5-11 on breakpoint chances. She wins 24 of her 35 second serve return points, and again, 14 of 19 at the net. She closed well in this match, but Danka Kavinic, with all due respect, didn't really have the weapons to hurt her, didn't have the weapons to move her out of the center of the court. And so from a tennis perspective, I treat it a lot like the Nuria Parizas-Diaz match from Canada. Serena won that match as well because she was in command of that match from the start. And the question is, will she be able to be in command of a player like Annette Conteve? Is she serving well enough that that serve is so overwhelmingly dominant that, you know, it doesn't matter how fluid is Annette Conteve is from the baseline, how good she is at changing direction from both wings. 
Did I think her serve was that dominant today against Kavinich? No, I did not. I thought the second serve was still vulnerable. That said, I mean, the energy this crowd gives Serena Williams, she's going to raise her level depending on the level of competition to see her on court fighting the way she does to see just a crowd embrace any tennis player the way this crowd embraces Serena. It was a special moment, a special atmosphere. You can only imagine the emotions going through Serena Williams' head. And yet, despite that, again, 23 winners against 25 unforced errors wins 77% of her first serve points, fights off eight of the 10 break points that she faced. So many of them were with big plus one aggressive shots that, you know, we don't have the forced error count in terms of the stats in front of me. There were numerous forced errors off the racket of Serena Williams to Danka Kavinich, but Again, from a draw perspective, it was a great draw for Serena. This was a very winnable match from the start, and ultimately she is able to win the match in straight sets, and now it sets up a fascinating matchup between her and Annette Conteve, as Annette Conteve, a straight set winner on the day over Jacqueline Christian. But look at what, and I, I want to talk more about the Serena pageantry, but we're also going to get another match of Serena, and I'm going to have a guest on win Serena if she does ever lose at the at any point of this tournament. We're going to bring on a special guest to discuss that because, again, for an immense moment like that, you got to have a conversation. Can't just be me dictating to all of you listeners. But look, Serena was not the only Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club player to have success on the day. I mentioned Caroline Garcia, straight sets over Rakimova. I don't believe she was broken on the day. Was in command from the start and. Her serve, her plus one. She's the number one hold percentage on the WTA Tour right now. There's a reason for that. Always worth reminding everyone, Veronica Kudermatova, currently 11th in the points race, is the 25-year-old. You look for Kudermatova. She currently ranks 10th amongst WTA players in hold percentage this season. She earns an impressive straight set victory over Donna Vekic. was a very tight first set. Kudermatova, one of seven on break point chances, but didn't face a break point in that opening set. was a tough opening set for Madison Keys as well, but she earns a straight set victory over Diana Yastremska. Ludmilla Samsonova makes it 11 wins in a row with a straight set win. And then Ali Risk advancing in straight sets as well. What do all of those players do? They have top 50 percentile serves, some of them better than others, but certainly Keys, Garcia, Samsonova are all top 10 in hold percentage. Kudermatova as well. Risk is top 20. And they all play first strike tennis behind that big first serve. The speed of this U.S. Open court is just amplifying that skill set perhaps more than anything else. And I think you look for each of these players now again with, you, you know, you look at players like Kasakina falling and players like uh, Sakari struggling. The first strike tennis matters on these courts, the ability to impose your will, the ability to be the player inside the baseline. And look, Madison Keys now has a fellow first strike in Camilla Georgie, who escapes with a three-set win. That's a very fun second-round matchup. You've got, you know, Bianca Andrescu, who earns a three-set win. She plays first strike. She plays Beatrice Haddad Maya in the match of round number two. But Garcia's got Kalinskaya, risk a very winnable match against Kami Osorio. You know, Shelby Rogers escapes in three sets. Her against Own Jabour on this surface would certainly be fascinating. Kudermatova now, her seed in her 16th, Daria Kasakina knocked out. Kudermatova should reach the second week of this tournament. All of these power players right now well positioned in the draw. And I think if you're making wagers right now on the future of this tournament. Take the players with the weapons who can play on their terms because we saw with Halep, we saw with Kasakina today, especially early in this tournament when you don't have rhythm, relying on your physicality is always a difficult thing, but the power tennis players just have more margin for errors because error because as we know, their best is better than other people's best. So credit to the Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club nominees and players for all bringing their best here on day number one of the U.S. Open. With that said, of course I said I was going to have segments. We ended up jumping all over the place. That's what's going to happen when there are 64 matches on a single day. Let's run through everything else now so that I can inject 
more organization back into this pod down the home stretch. Let's talk about the upsets first on the day we haven't gotten to. I mentioned uh, Teichman, Halep knocked out. We also had Harriet Dart, 7-6-1-6-6-3. She knocks out Daria Kasakina. Kasakina, 44 unforced errors against just 24 winners. Now, Dart hit 63 unforced errors, but 36 winners. There were 17 breaks of serve. In this match, Dart 8 of 14 on break points. Kasakina 9 of 18. Serves were essentially approach shots. And credit to Harriet Dart, who just kept swinging. And look, again, it was a. Some will say, well, why did Kasakina play the week before? Was she tired in this match? No, I don't think that was it. I just don't think she played particularly well. I think this surface was more advantageous to a player like Dart who wants to play a little bit bigger, who wants to end rallies a little bit earlier. She never gave Kasakina time to get into her defensive playbook to make the match physical. And credit to Harriet Dart, who earns one of the biggest wins of her career. And look, Dart's at 88 in the rankings. That's four off her career high of 84, which she reached earlier this season in beating Daria Kasakina today. Not only is it her first top 10 win of the season, it's her first top 10 win of her career. She's now one in six overall. It's also just her second win over a top 20 player. Both of those wins coming this season as she earned one earlier in the year in the round of 64 against Svitolina at Indian Wells. You know, 26 years old, but Dart's fun. Like, I like the power she plays with. Do I think she has top 20 consistency? No, I do not. Do I think she has the weapons to beat a top 20 player from time to time? We just saw her do that at this U.S. Open. So, you know, again, tough day for the physical tennis players. Uh, Martina Trevisan, another player who relies on her physicality, knocked out by Rodina in straight sets. Those were your four upsets on the women's side. On the men's side, the last upset we probably have to get into with a little bit of depth was Stefano Tsitsipas, who, dare I say, was crushed. Six love, six one, three six, seven five. Daniel Gallant gave him the business. And you look for Tsitsipas, 28 winners, 57 unforced errors. Tsitsipas was bad throughout the course of this match. Set number one, two winners, 11 unforced errors. He won five of 17 points on serve in the set. Um, yeah, you know, didn't hold, I mean, got bageled in set number one. Two winners, 11 unforced errors. Set number two, seven winners, 16 unforced errors. Oh, yeah, set number one, he also only made 47% of his first serves. He was awful in set number one. And the kick serve of Daniel Galan, who hits high and heavy to that backhand, his forehand has a ton of action on it. It gave the Tsitsipas backhand troubles. I mean, Tsitsipas just wasn't prepared for Galan's ball at the start of this match. And, you know, while Tsitsipas found his rhythm in set number two, felt like he had a chance to maybe level things in set number three, uh, excuse me, in set number four after taking set number three, he was just never able to find his rhythm. And yes, he fought off his first eight match points that he faced, but there were so many forehand shank errors, sprayed wide, sprayed long. And I saw a stat today about Stefano Tsitsipas and his record at, you know, first rounds at Australian Open and the first round at Wim- uh, the French Open versus his first round matches at Wimbledon and the U.S. Open or his records overall. He's like 10 and 10 at the U.S. Open and Wimbledon. And it's like something like 28, much better at the first two slams of the year. The point is his struggles at the U.S. Open continue. And look, Daniel Galan played a good match. You look for Galan overall, 41 winners against 36 unforced errors. He fights off seven of the nine break points that he faced generated 18 break points for himself, had nine freaking match points to close out this match, was consistent in his game plan. High and heavy to the Tsitsipas backhand. That said, when Tsitsipas camps over, Galan did a great job not only taking his backhand down the line, but in particular the heaviness of his inside and forehand. That's what drew so many of the errors from the Tsitsipas on the run forehand, much like the Wolf plus one forehand drew errors from RBA. But this was a poor result for Tsitsipas, particularly after he makes the final in Cincinnati. Feels like he had just gained some massive confidence on the hard courts, and now he's at knocked out round number one. And you look for Stefano Tsitsipas currently sitting at four in the rankings, but Alcaraz, Rude, only have to win two matches. They'll both pass him. If Nori has a good tournament, Hercats has a good tournament, they can both pass him as well. It's tough. 
Tough for Stefano Tsitsipas to end this North American hardcourt stretch. Credit to Daniel Galan, who you look for him now overall at the slams. in Or overall, obviously, for him will start against top 10 players for Daniel Galan. First win in four attempts against top 10 players. First win over a top 20 player in seven attempts. You look for him at the slams in his career now. Daniel Galan into the second round of a slam for the fourth time in his career. You look for him this season, made third round Wimbledon, follows that up here by coming through qualifying. Now a win over Tsitsipas has a very winnable match against Jordan Thompson. I mean, that whole 16th is open because the two seeds, Tsitsipas, Cressy, knocked out. Here, one of these players is going to be in the round of 16. Daniel Galan, Jordan Thompson, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, Marton Fucevic. We're all thinking it. What a massive opportunity for Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, who just always seems to find himself in these places. But he should make the round of 16. And if Davidovich Fokina makes the round of 16... He's going to be in the top 30. He's going to be in the top 25 of the ATP rankings. So um, we're on Davidovich Fokina watch here on the mini break podcast as, uh, again, Pass knocked out. We already talked about Fritz getting knocked out. RBA knocked out. Your other upsets on the day. Cressy knocked out. Andy Murray. Straight set win, 7-5-6-3-6-3 over Sarundolo. He actually served for the first set, up 5-4, was broken. But just Sarundolo didn't have the rally tolerance. He wasn't willing to work long enough to put himself in easy advantageous positions against Murray and credit to Murray who used this court the court speed so well and was able to serve and volley and was able to you know 8 of or excuse me 18 of 23 at the net when 75% of his first serve points was you know able to convert 8 of 14 breakpoint chances he was the one dictating from the baseline which is surprising because the surrender low forehand was the biggest weapon on the court but Murray did a great job of preventing Sarandolo from getting to that position easily. And look, drawing the 24 seed is probably the best case scenario for Andy Murray because, yes, it's a seed first round, but A, it's a low seed, and B, now that you've beaten him, you assume the position of the seed. And up next for Andy Murray is going to be the aforementioned Emilio Nava, who has one win at a major in his career, just played the first five-set match of his career, a very winnable match for Andy Murray, a huge opportunity for him to make round number three where, you know, he faced a big server in Matteo Berrettini, but Andy Murray has always fared well against big servers. So Andy Murray's second week, you can't throw it out of the cards yet and a good first-round upset for him. You know, the only other upset on the day, and it wasn't really an upset, Yibing Wu, 31-4 and overall in the year, the three-time challenger champ here this season. 6-3, love He dominates Basilish Vili. Not a shock. Not a shock. Again, because Yibing Wu, the depth, the discipline, the rigorousness of how he executes his game plan, which is the same thing as saying discipline. He just overwhelmed Basilashvili, and the pace of Basilashvili's ball was not too much for him to handle. So if you haven't, go watch yourself some E being woo. And now he's taking on Nuno Borges, which is the tennis nerds match of round number two. That said, let's move on to the matches that went the distance, and we can go a little bit faster now. Sakari. Three sets survived, 6-4, love. A little revenge for her against Tatiana Maria. She's not playing her best, but she finds a way to win. So ditto, as I said, for Tommy Paul and Sebi Corda. That's half the battle. Now, did she use that win-ugly trump card too soon? I suppose we'll find out. But you look uh, for Sakari now in the draw. Again, things do somewhat open up for her with all the upsets. She's got Wang Shiyu next, the talented lefty who earned a three-set victory over Diane Perry on the day. You also had three-set wins for Shelby Rogers, who— was able to just generate enough plus one magic to advance over Iran's Rus. And then Bianca Andrescu, who was, you know, took her foot off the gas, but stayed disciplined in sets one and three. Three set win over Harmony Tan. Your other three set winners on the day, Georgie Osorio, who survives against Ann Lee after a rough first set. Wang Shiyu, uh, Elena Gabriela Rusa, and a good win from Elizabeth Mandelik, who the tennis nerds love. She gets a three set win over Tamara Zedanzik. On the men's side, Botik Vanasenskulp surviving five sets against a big hitting Thomas Mychek. I was impressed by the Czech's progression. 
aggression in his game, his ability to dictate against an all-around. You know, again, very few holes in the game of Vanderson Schulp, and yet Mychek was able to be the aggressor. I mentioned the Paul and Borges five-set wins. You also had Jordan Thompson, Emilio Nava, Pedro Kashin with five-set wins. And then, oh, Benjamin Bonzi a five-set win. And how about Timmy Van Reithoven? Fights off, I believe, five match points. Might have been seven, but ultimately five-set win for him at the U.S. Open. Finally rewarded for his efforts during the grass court season with some serious points here at the U.S. Open. In terms of your other results on the day, 19 straight-set winners on the women's side. Conteve, Jabour, Goff, Haddad Maya all cruising. I mentioned the rest of the seeds already. Of course, the unseeded players that keep your eye on. Samsonova, 3-1 win. Again, 11 straight for her. Tom Janovic, impressive 3-6 win over Mukova. I would say that's probably on the women's side. The matches we haven't touched on that matter most. On the men's side, Kyrgios. Oh, I think Leila Fernandez straight set win as well. Should throw that in there. On the men's side, Medvedev looked like a top contender. Kozlov couldn't hurt him. Medvedev cruises. Kyrgios cruising against Kokonakis. You know, Kasparud, FAA, I thought they both looked good. Cranio Busta was down early in set number one, but then a fairly comfortable four-set win for him over Dominic Team. And then Berrettini did his thing. Again, he may suck in best of three hardcourt matches, but the guy is rock solid in best of five on any surface. Straight set win for him over Jari. Good wins for Demonauer and Hatchnov of the unseeded players. I think the fact that Jack Draper, who's now 41-12 and 12 overall in the year, straight sets over Emil Rusevori. Rusevori's damn good. And that just speaks to the progression, how rock solid, how difficult it is to attack the big lefty 20-year-old in Jack Draper. Impressive straight set victory. Good win for Christian Green as well, by the way. Four sets over Yuri Lechechka. He just finds a way to win matches at slams. That said, it's really all that's important, in my opinion, from day number one. Now, again, there were 64 matches, but I feel like we distilled it down to what mattered most, of course. Now, we have to turn to our attention towards day number two. And if you want to hear my picks for day two, head on over to the Great Shot podcast feed. We offer our GSP aces of the day each and every day throughout this 2022 U.S. Open. That podcast brought to you by our friends at DraftKings. Here I want to talk more superficially. My favorite matches on the women's side, Power Tennis at a premium, 16th seeded Yelena Ostapenko taking on the rising 19-year-old young Chinese woman, Jung Chin Wen. I mean, again, Ostapenko, Junction Wen, neither lack in power. Junction Wen, the more disciplined of the two players. Ostapenko, obviously, the more experienced. And, you know, I think both of their second serves, both players are going to have success attacking. That one's going to be really fun. The inverse of that is Radakanu Cornet, which is going two hours at least, even if it's straight sets. I think the Radakanu backhand's the biggest weapon on the court. So I would lean towards her. But again, that match is tricky. If Anisimova's healthy, she'll th- cruise through Putenseva, and if she's healthy, she can win this damn tournament. Collins Osaka is fascinating because who knows how either player is going to look. Ditto for Muguruza Tossin. If you want to nerd out, Potapova Lu, Buskova Naskova, Fruvertova Shinyu, a lot of good matches on the board. On the men's side, it's American heavy, I won't lie. Sock Schwartzman feels like an upset alert. Tiafo Giron. Tiafo's just always must watch. And then, you know, Alcaraz Baez, Nadal Hijikata. For the nerds, Kesmenovic versus Kalamazoo champion Lerner Chen. Uh, Musetti versus Gofen. It's day one. There's a little bit of something for everyone. And of course, we will be back tomorrow to recap all of day two's action. Again, if you want to hear those preview podcasts, head on over to the Great Shot podcast feed where our Ace of the Day segment breaks it all down. All of that content available on our website, crackedrackets.com. Of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at A.L. Gruskin. A shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in day out a shout out as well to our friends at tennis point remember it's tennis-point.com the promo code is cr15 with that said for our super producer daniel westoff our friends at tennis point from all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say that's the break and we'll talk to you all tomorrow thanks everyone
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.